Today on the Toppy Show, Garth Brooks' Bud Light Boycott 2.0 begins, Twitter to roll out mass censorship, males are banned for competing in women's cycling, Bud Light tweet is more of a dodo than a tweet, and perhaps are they buying likes? Anheuser Bush CEO is not worried about the boycott, Ultra Right Beer has a new commercial that goes viral, Ron DeSantis calls on the state of Florida to investigate Bud Light, Jewel to make a new product for a comeback, Amazon to build a satellite facility, ESPN is looking for sports organizations for cash infusion investment, or perhaps stock, Tech giants take a voluntary vow to restrict AI, and Nissan Skyline may be coming back as an EV SUV. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you need a little assistance, you reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Jewel trying to make a comeback. Now, Jewel was perhaps the most successful vaping company in history. When you look at the fascinating freakonomics of a company coming out with a product and just exponentially having success, they pretty much fit that to the letter. I mean, you had, I believe it was Marlboro and a couple of the legacy cigarette manufacturers back in the 1980s, they actually came out with an interesting technology where you could recharge a reusable vape-like cigarette, but is a good example of the timing just wasn't right. It wasn't quite right. The users at the time, back in the, a couple of decades ago, they said it was a stale flavor, felt artificial, felt weird to have plastic as opposed to the Cigarette, you know, nowadays we make out of paper and tobacco, well, all days. And the product just, just kind of flopped and really wasn't evaluated for a while. And then all of a sudden, just vaping became a huge social phenomenon, partially because you had smoking being banned virtually everywhere, even in the freedom of the United States. So nicotine addicts had to find some sort of juicy alternative. And juicy is a moderate pun because... Jewel came over, they were under a lot of scrutiny because they had fruit-flavored little cartridges for their Jewel e-cigs. And the argument was that they were targeting children who are underage to purchase the product. And somehow this product was also getting to a lot of children's hands and they were being marketed towards children. That actually caused Jewel to have a settlement of $462 million between multiple states in the United States to settle those claims of inappropriate advertising to minors and targeting them. Now, this whole controversy actually caused the FDA to pull their product from the shelves temporarily, which, of course, as a company, that's perhaps the worst possible thing imaginable is to have your product ready to go. You've taken all that time to manufacture, to package it, put it right on the shelf. Sometimes you have to pay these stores for that premium shelf space and a little bit, oh, I was gonna say a little bit, apparently this is alleged because they settled outside of court or they settled rather but yeah they apparently targeted kids and it turns out yeah that's pretty morally vacuous and the United States didn't appreciate that so they pulled the product now the big issue with a lot of these were the cartridges now these little cartridges you saw one or two stories where there's really a lot of negative publicity against these vaping companies because apparently there's a illicit substance, uh, I believe it was a marijuana, as well as it was infused with a carcinogen, which actually caused someone to die. So someone died from a vape pen, but that's what the article said. If you read the article, which I know, you know, you know, math, science, history scores are all-time low in the United States. Reading is a lost art. I perhaps the only one I know of my age bracket who actually purchases books and physically I like them. But if you actually read the article, it was because they would be using third-party cartridges, aka vape cartridges with a little liquid substance made by a third party, sometimes homemade, they actually have this carcinogen, or I guess, you know, cigarettes are carcinogenic in and of itself, the extra carcinogenic substance, which caused the fatalities from the vape pen in and of itself. I'm not saying vape pens in general are a safe alternative to tobacco products. That's a whole topic in and of itself, which we're still waiting for a lot of third party analysis to go over that. There are pros and cons to each, and you've heard horror stories on both sides of the aisle. But in terms of those cartridges, they're pretty unregulated, kind of like printer cartridges back in the day. You can just, anyone can get a cartridge and slap it into a jewel. 
Juul being the, the main brand that has the e-cig. Looks like a little pen. Now, it almost seems like they're gonna go the printer route. So the new product that, again, they're right now proposing and giving it to the FDA in terms of, they're giving them the blueprints and they're giving them the idea of, here's a new proprietary vape pen. It will apparently have child locks and will also have ways to limit the other third-party cartridges so that you cannot use third-party cartridges in order on the actual product, which is an interesting idea. In practice, it's probably gonna be a, a hilarious epic fail. Perhaps they're just doing this for marketing because people, especially young folks, they're really good at social engineering and hacking. You saw this with those stupid e-scooter things where within a couple weeks you had people actually hacking it so they could actually use those little scooters for free. As opposed to, you know, scanning it with a credit card and you know, like actually legitimately using the product. Now, in terms of a vape pen where they claim it's going to have an age verification as well as lock out third-party cartridges, it might be a printer, which, yeah, printers are a loss leader. That's why you have to pay more for ink. They lose money on the printer itself. But the crux of the story is most printers on the commercial market or even the consumer market, they have those little cartridges that actually have circuits and you actually have proprietary programming. So, they, like, for example, an HP printer will only use HP ink. And it'll actually detect it. And if it, if that, you know, rudimentary speaking, if they doesn't line up, if it doesn't de detect an authorized HP product, it's disabled. It won't work. Even if physically the cartridges look the same, it won't work. Granted, there's ways to hack that. Obviously, it's technology. It, there's no such thing as something that's 100% secure. You can hack anything these days with enough time resources. So it'll be interesting to see how easy can you hack it. So they claim it's going to have like an age verification or parental control. Is that something where the parent is going to have like a device or they have to scan an ID in order to use the vape pen? At the end of the day, it's an interesting idea. I partially suspect they're doing it just for marketing to try to appease some of the scrutiny that has come over the company. And it'll be interesting to see, does this belong in the business blunder of the day if it's a fiscal fail? That, that'll be interesting, you know, time, as I always say. Shelter. Now, other interesting business use, you have ESPN in chats with NBA, the NFL, and the MLB, which are all balls teams. You have the National Basketball Association, National Football Association, and you have the Major League Baseball Association. All the balls. Wait, National Football, National... They, I guess they didn't mention the NHL yet. Perhaps there's another... Maybe there's a reason for that. Well, I digress. Either way, the balls companies are all, all in contact with ESPN. Because ESPN is a little bit of a pickle, because they're part of Disney, which Mickey Mouse, that little rat, I mean, cute, adorable, adorable mouse, not at all morally vacuous, corrupt, or um, morally opaque, or disgusting, targeting towards kids, but they're bleeding, and part of Mickey, there's a little gangrene infecting Mickey's leg. They want to cut it off. The CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, has said publicly that he debates if he actually doesn't know. He says, I don't know if the legacy TV parts of the company are really essential. They're, I don't know if they're really essential for Disney, the company. So in terms of what Disney owns, in terms of TV legacy assets, think of the cable box, you've got ESPN, you have ABC, you also have FX, and the Disney Channel, and National Geographic, and one or two I can't remember because it's legacy cable, no one cares really. And ESPN, they've been bleeding for quite some time. I often like to use the metaphor of it's one of those issues similar to doctors. The cure temporarily helped, but in the end it killed the company. Now ESPN, Ben Shapiro actually wrote this in his book called Primetime Propaganda, where he analyzes the big three media companies, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, and kind of the progress of these companies going from a pure profit type of business model to more of a virtue business model where they put a premium on pushing political ideologies it wasn't solely just pushing content that was making the most money. And of course, ESPN was an outbranch of one of those companies, I believe it was ABC. And ESPN, they had some struggling, I think it was the 90s, they had a little struggling because people weren't turning in to look at the sports balls as much. So ESPN decided to make it more of reality TV with, you have sports broadcasters having political commentary. This did temporarily increase the ratings because controversy does sell and it is there's more of an there's more of an audience that's interested. It's not just sports people, but it's political people, folks like drama. Now they're tuning in. 
So temporarily, many argue that it actually helped the company, but long-term, a lot of people, including myself, feel you alienate the actual sports balls fans because they're tuning in to watch sports. They want to hear Charles Barkley claim that you're a redneck because you don't like, you're not buying Bud Light anymore because you're embracing Bud Light boycott, which I don't know if he's on ESPN, but he's, he's one of the sports balls analyzers. ESPN, I think, in terms of when I stopped watching it, I've never been a big sports balls fan, but I remember a couple of years back, you had an instance where one of those players, one of those morally vacuous piece of shit players, actually attacked his wife with a knife. And someone on the ESPN channel were saying, oh yeah, this is why it wouldn't even matter if she had a gun because he had a knife. And they were, they were kind of promulgating that their belief was that guns are bad, which that person, they claim they're American, but this is on ESPN. They were talking about, oh yeah, you know, guns are bad. A gun would not have helped that woman out because there's a big, you know, big football player with a knife. Which, I'm trying to think of a nice, I'm trying to think of a word appropriate enough to, um, to define that moronic statement. Because as a wise man once said, God made man, Samuel Colt made man equal. Samuel Colt being perhaps one of the most prolific firearm designers in history who successfully patented the first successful re revolver. So it was a, AKA the one that actually worked, the other ones misfired, they, different mechanisms weren't working. And it's true. This one, that's why I always tell people, I think there should be an extra emphasis on arming women so they can appropriately defend themselves in all situations when they don't have their partner to defend them for them. And in this case, you had ESPN saying, oh yeah, that, that wouldn't have helped her. Uh, yeah, it, uh, uh, 110% it would. A gun, doesn't matter if it's held by a 90-pound woman or a 200-pound linebacker, it's going to stop them. So in my social circle, a lot of my friends started to notice the political statements in ESPN as well. And during one of our debates, or uh, we were talking about you know Second Amendment, recent laws, rules, stipulations, that came up. And a couple of my friends actually said that's why they stopped watching ESPN because of that particular moment. Because a lot of them were pro-gun, and to them, they saw now ESPN looks like an anti-gun company because of that one that one uh, spokesperson. And again, they're a sports balls company. They're supposed to talk about throwing the pigskin 20 yards into a hoop or whatever they talk about. It's not even a pigskin anymore, so pathetic. It's some synthetic material. They took that job away from the pig. How on a, how how insensitive was that? But I digress. In terms of ESPN now, you have Disney looking to slash a bunch of their legacy media. And to try to make Disney profitable. Disney Plus is going to lose an estimated $800 million, Q3. That's, that's a lot of money to piss away. And eventually you need to make a profit unless you're the government. So it looks like they're talking to all these these sports leagues and organizations. But, I mean, the NBA, the NFL, MLB, they, they already have lucrative contracts with other companies. So I know, famously, one of the things that helped YouTube Premium grow is because they negotiated with the NFL to get the Sunday package. So if you want to tune into the sports balls team on the Sunday game, you have to buy YouTube premium, a smart business move by YouTube and parent company, Google Alphabet, because that exclusivity means you have to go there. But I don't think ESPN has enough money to lure them, to lure them, the, these organizations. So they're basically begging them to become a partner at the end of the day. Why? If you have the resources of the NFL, for example, which is a multi-billion dollar organization, you have the resources to spend maybe, a, I don't know, a couple hundred million to build out your own infrastructure. It's even cheaper if you just throw it in Amazon Web Services or, you know, Google Cloud or Microsoft Azure, although they renamed it because they hate, they're terrible at marketing with Microsoft usually. But why not, why don't they just build it out themselves? They have the cash, they can do an upfront investment, they build out the infrastructure, build another streaming platform, and they get paid directly from the fans. That's certainly in the realm of technological capabilities. What does ESPN add? That's a real question. And at this time, I really don't know. I would just, if I was in charge of the NBA or the NFL, I would just say, hey, all the teams are gonna to come together. Every team's gonna chip in X amount of dollars. We're gonna build the NFL Plus package. And it's gonna be an app on the phone and on the computer and on the, on the TV. If you want to turn into this app, it'll show you every game that our business is hosting. Now, that is a little bit different than the current where they actually sell the rights. So like with the NFL, they sold the rights, the broadcasting rights to YouTube. And that's another way they can make money. ESPN isn't saying we're going to give you broadcasting. They're, they're not paying them up front for a big broadcasting deal. They're looking for a partnership. And 
long-term, I don't see how it's going to be successful for either organizations. So I wouldn't be surprised if these teams just turn them down politely, either build out their own infrastructure or continue to sell the broadcasting rights to other companies like YouTube. You also have ABC and other legacy networks who, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. But I don't see the compelling use case from ESPN to really entice them to join. And again, ESPN is more divisive. Yes, politics have also infected other sports organizations, making it less attractive for a mass consumption. But at the end of the day, I don't see this being a really good strategic relationship. And if anything, maybe this will be in the business blunder in the section in a couple of weeks. Who sees? Who knows? We'll, we will see. Time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Amazon building a $120 million facility in Florida for their Kuniper internet satellites. Now, this will specifically be for satellite processing, Project Kuiper. Hmm. D+, it sounds somewhat interesting, and I'm sure it has a really cool space or goddess or reference or something like that, but the average consumer, when they hear that, it doesn't inspire, inspire me to look it up except the fact that I'm business-oriented, so I probably will later today or something, but the average person just hearing Project Kuniper, like, even just... Amazon Space, like, like, like SpaceX, that's a lot better. He's got Elon's whole vision is the X app, the X, the one app to rule them all. I secretly think he's a Lord of the Rings nerd, but I'm, I'm a fan of Lord of the Rings as well, trans, full transparency, but Kuniper. So, you know what? I'm downgrading. It's an F plus, F plus for the marketing. Now, that's their plan to build out a network of 3,236 satellites, oddly specific, in low Earth orbit. And their attempt, they're doing that to provide high-speed internet across anywhere in the world. Sound familiar? Absolutely. Just like Elon Musk, Starlink. So this is great from a consumer perspective because obviously, oh, not IRC, there's a lot of socialists in the United States. I've explained, almost like they never went to, I was about to say, I was, I was about to say, it's almost like they never went to school, but nowadays, nowadays, unfortunately, schools glorify the most horrific, disgusting ideas in history. That's why, that's why, for example, my family fled Cuba, they're, there's many reasons for that. Now, the nice thing about the free market and competition is it in literally, literally gives businesses incentives to provide the best value for their clients. So now that you have two nice little competition between SpaceX with Starlink in particular, Starlink being their internet or a satellite internet service, well, now there's an extra incentive to make their internet faster and cheaper because otherwise consumers can go to the Amazon solution. So this is great news from a consumer perspective. And it's interesting to see Amazon continue to evolve as they take part in more and more business categories. Certainly a great way to grow a company, of course, because you don't want to sit on your laurels. No one wants to be the next Sears, which is a great business documentary in and of itself to go over someday. Now, in terms of this facility, it's going to be a 100,000 square foot processing facility. It'll serve as the final steps before the satellites reach the orbit, preparing them for launches on the rockets of the ULA and the Blue Origin. Eh... C plus for Blue Origin. That's yeah, that's Jeff Bezos' space company. Eh, I feel like you could have done something a little bit better with that, but we'll see. Now it should be noted that last year Amazon actually announced its biggest corporate rocket deal in history to launch its satellites. It actually booked seventy-seven launches, which included, and those deals also included options for more when needed for a variety of companies to deploy satellites fast enough so they can meet regulatory uh, requirements. So there's a huge business out there, and of course the private sector shall finally prevailed. That's what Elon. That was perhaps one of Elon's biggest accomplishments was SpaceX, because private space exploration, and actual profitable space operations, never really happened until then. The closest we got was uh, Beale Aerospace, which was actually a banker entrepreneur headquartered in Plano, Texas. Beale Bank. You had Beale B E A L Aerospace, and they got close, but I believe after they infused four hundred million dollars, they just they couldn't get the ROI there and they eventually had to close shop, unfortunately. So it's a huge accomplishment by Elon in and of itself to have gone that far. It'll be interesting to see what does it take for Amazon to really go over the threshold and how quickly will these satellite internet capabilities happen? We will see. Other interesting business views, you have Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Meta all promising to make AI <laughs> Safe and secure, which you almost can't say without laughing because it's technology. 
So to make anything safe and secure is kind of a farce because there's no such thing as complete security or security is one of those things where it's really like a cat and mouse game. That's a big part of what my IT company go, does type of technologies. We do a lot of cybersecurity. So we do a lot of pen testing, everything from you know simple scans to full-blown red team assessments. And to say you're gonna make a technology secure, it's it's only secure as the latest thing you did, and even then, it's just the cat and mouse. So whatever you do, the bad guys are gonna do, keep doing more things. Some compared to medieval times where you wanna build out the biggest walls, dissuade, make it so it looks like you're not an easy target. But for these companies to say, oh yeah, we're gonna make it safe and secure, that's it sounds nice for the average, for the average person who doesn't understand the nuances to cybersecurity. But in particular, these are the three bullet points that they apparently agree to. So in terms of safety, they say, quote, the companies agree to testing and safety com capabilities of their AI systems, sub subjugating them to external testing, assessing them for potential biological, cybersecurity, and societal risk, and making the results of those assessments public. Biological. Interesting. Yes, you did guess it right. That was a Terminator theme song. Terribly spoken, but enough, well enough for perhaps some of you to guess. In terms of security, say, quote, those companies also said they will safeguard their AI products against cyber and insider threats and share best practices and standards to prevent misuse, reduce the risks to society, and protect national security. Unquote. Now, when they say reduce the risk to society, it sounds like that term hate speech. What risk are you talking about? How, who is defining the risk? You might get 10 different answers from 10 different people. Just like how you ask people, what is the cloud in regard to IT? You'll get 10 different answers from 10 different people because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Trust, well, this is gonna be funny. One of the biggest agreements secu secured for these companies to make it easy for people to tell whether images are, are original, altered, or generated by AI. They will also ensure that AI doesn't promote discrimination or bias. They will also protect children from harm, and they will use AI to solve challenges like climate change and cancer. That's not their job at all, but that's they claim they're going to do that. We, we were promised the same thing with supercomputing. I remember it was three to maybe four years ago, Hewlett Packard Enterprise came out there they bought Cray, which used to be one of the most legacy, well-known and respected supercomputer companies. And they claimed the robot was they were gonna cure Alzheimer's. It sounds great, but did it happen? No, of course not. Will AI be able to do that? I, I'm highly skeptical of it. It's, a lot of people are treating it as the fountain of youth or some, some miraculous thing. There will always be limitations on technologies. I know AI learns and gets better over time. And then, they say don't promote discrimination or bias. I guarantee it, it's already biased against conservatives. Ask Siri a bunch of secure. There's a whole YouTube genre of people asking Siri conservative questions and just completely getting obliterated. Or it's hilarious how it's completely biased one way politically speaking. You see the same thing with the, even the AI app on your um, what was it the Snapchat. It's ridiculous. So I remember someone asked the AI to say, "Ask me." I'm telling AI, I'm telling the app, write me a joke about men. It'll tell you some pejorative joke about men being dumb or stupid. Cliche, yeah, obviously. And then it'll say, make me a joke about women. And it won't do it. And it'll say, make me a joke about a white man. They will always make that joke. Make me a joke about name your minority. It won't do that. It'll actually tell you it's insensitive to do that. The biases are built in by the people who construct it. So that's why I think it's kind of a joke to have that because are they really going to do any of that? Is it, I, can almost, I guarantee you it's going to be biased. And it will not be for the better. And I'm pre call, me a pes call me pessimistic, but this all sounds nice and fancy. I'll get along. But also, don't forget, their national market doesn't give a damn about this agreement. China is going full speed ahead with all their AI initiatives. That should be pretty concerning. These companies... They're all nicely lovey-dovey. They're also headquartered in the United States. But what if they just do it outside of the country? Kind of like how the United States did that with biological... Um, so that's a way of saying uh, biological uh, thing with the Fauci. They didn't do it in the United States, but we paid to do it in China. 
we were following, uh, you know, law of the United States for gain of function research. We didn't do it here. We did it in China. We paid for it. Yeah, yeah th th that's true. So what if these companies just, they don't do it here. Microsoft's not going to do it here, but Microsoft is a huge global company. What if they do in Ireland? What if they do in China? So that's why I kind of laugh at this little um, pseudo agreement, but we'll see. Now, going on to the cultural part of the podcast, you have Garth Brooks begging you to support the Ukraine and the boycott against him intensifies. Now, this video actually came out, um, I believe it was actually about a year ago. And ever since he had his recent business blunder, I would say, because he's losing fans, where during the Bud Light boycott, where again, a little summary, you had a trans activist who targets children as their average user on TikTok. Bud Light thought this is going to be good. This person who every day dresses up as a woman and does stereotypical women things, we're going to have them be our spokesperson. There's a huge backlash, $28 billion in stock just gone. The stock valuation dropped by $28 billion, lost more sales. They're no, for the first time in 20 years, they're not the number one, number one beer anymore. That's how bad it was. And Garth Brooks, when asked for comment about Garth, he has a bar, and they're going to ask, are you going to have Bud Light? And he said, oh yeah, we'll have all the beers. How do I impersonate a serial killer's voice? Because I was Garth Brooks. He's like, oh yeah, I just want to have all the beers. Want, want everyone. I, I just want everyone to like me. If you don't like, if you don't like Bud Light, you're an a-hole. Go to hell. Like, he insulted everyone who was participating in the Bud Light boycott. If you look at the, I would say on the average, politically speaking, people on the Bud Light boycott are more often than not on the right side of the political aisle. And if you look at country music, more often than not, I would also argue there is a lot of overlap, if not a, a whole lot of overlap, where that's the same audience in many in many ways. So. Garth Brooks said that, and people started to boycott Garth Brooks, and they started to dig up his past, as they often do with these boycotts and social things online. And they came across this interesting little, uh, they come across this little video, and disclaimer, he does look like a serial killer in this video, so I'm not going to subject you to his face, unless you watch the highlight and you can see it's his thumbnail. It's, um, it's like he doesn't blink sometimes. But, uh, let's, let's play this real quick. Hey everybody, Garth Brooks. And Trisha Yearwood. And we're proud to say... We stand with Ukraine. Why? Well, I don't know why, but let's hear. Especially the refugees. There's okay. a global initiative, and of course, supplies and aid is already spread thin. And this is where you come in. We need your help. We need you to donate. Yeah, I mean, we, we always ask for love and prayer. He's a multimillionaire, just uh, also. Please keep doing that. But we're also going to ask you, dig in your pockets, be part of the greatest global relief plan mankind has ever seen. Everybody deserves dignity. Everybody deserves a roof over their Except the Russian citizens. They don't deserve that, apparently. Head ...to feel safe. You can be a part of that. Yeah, amen. So join us, won't you? Stand up for love. Stand up for mankind. <laughs> Everybody go... God, that guy's creepy. I think he blinked three times in the video. He must have eye drops off screen where he just constantly squished that in the eye. Now, a lot of people are critiquing this video in particular because... It was when the U.S. was having a lot of economic, well, still are having a lot of economic issues, but it was when the U.S. was struggling and more people were focusing on helping the other countries in the U.S., which is a political topic, topic as well as a cultural topic, which goes back and forth throughout the years. Where do you put resources? You have a finite number of resources. Where do you help? Who and where? Do you help at home first? Or do you, is it, do you consider your civic duty to help this country you've never heard of? You can't point it out on a map. And a lot of the comments were saying, you know, all you know, lost families in the United States are struggling to put food on the pay, on the table to pay their mortgages, keep the lights on during that borderline recession. And we have Garth Brooks saying, you know, just just help out Ukraine. I mean, they're great. Maybe that's because that's where he has all the dead bodies. And if the Russians get in too much, they might uncover the dead bodies from Garth Brooks. Allegedly, he might be a serial killer. I have to use that allegedly, but. It's interesting to see as people start to boycott him more and more, they're pulling up these videos where it is kind of hilarious because he's a multimillionaire. He could just, you know, do a lot. But interesting to see, Garth. Interesting to see. Now, exile that fun. Yeah, I was going to say, Garth, if I have Garth Brooks on the laptop too much, it'll burn into my retinas and it'll, oh, it's uh, quite bad. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Twitter to roll out mass censorship. Now, Twitter has taken a nosedive recently because of this. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who had a lot of hope for the platform. 
when Elon first bought Twitter, he revealed all the documents that showed, oh yes, the US government actually actively censored United States citizens, citizens without due process. And unfortunately he didn't, he brought a lot of people back under the platform who were wrongly suspended or even taken off Twitter completely. Unfortunately, he wasn't a free speech absolutist. I, I always like to tell people, he passed the Alex Jones test, which is a great litmus test if you're an international viewer. In case you've never heard of Alex Jones, He's a political commentator. He has his own show called Infowars, and his shtick is he loves to go into the conspiracy theories. The scary part is when, more often than not, or many times, he's proven right over throughout the years. I think that a lot of people should be concerned about that. Now, in terms of advertisers, you had every social media company from Facebook to Twitter to YouTube nuke him all at once. They took all of his reach away. So now I think he has only his website. And he was sued multiple times. The big controversy around him was during the Sandy Hook massacre, he had a conspiracy theory in which he thought the was a false flag in order for politicians to use as a mechanism to take away gun rights. Now, I think he got it half right in terms of politicians always capitalize on the most in disgusting acts of humanity to push their agenda. It's disgusting. I can't help but notice one side does that more often than not when it comes to the guns issue. They don't examine. They don't examine. You know, what's the household look at these people? Do they have a good family, good dad in the house, or? Are they on any psychotropic drugs or any antidepressants? Um, or wait, or maybe this person just you know needs some extra help or... No, no, it's the inanimate object. That's uh, the cliche answer for most brainless politicians. So because of that controversy, he got sued and a lot of people thought he doesn't deserve free speech. And again, call me old fashioned, but I go by the old mantra of, I may not agree with what you have to say, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it which is what every American used to believe. That's what founded the United States. The First Amendment was paramount, perhaps second only to the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms. Now, the Alex Jones litmus test for me is if someone doesn't believe in that he deserves free speech, they don't really believe in free speech. Free speech is easy. It basically doesn't mean if you want someone, if you agree with what someone has to say, they don't need free speech. Saying you believe that they deserve free speech needs nothing. It's the people that you don't agree with they, that's where the true test of character is. If you truly believe in free speech, you should believe that everyone deserves that human right to express themselves. Now, with Twitter, Elon did not put Elon back on the platform when Elon took over the company. There's many that suspect it's because he doesn't want the app to get pulled from the App Store. Because the App Store, you know, is controlled by Apple and Google, Google via, via Android. And without the app, it makes it prohibitive to get to. That's partially why Parler, that social media company, just crashed and burned. So Elon was not a free speech absolutist even from the beginning, but he did a lot of good. He brought a lot of people back and got rid of the censorship. And there's a lot of hope for the platform. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of contingencies that are outside of his control. Don't forget, Twitter is also hosted on Amazon Web Services, also known as AWS. So instead of having his own hardware, like a laptop to host the website or the app that he controls, it's outsourced. It's not his computer, or in this case, a server, rack mount server in a data center. It's Amazon's. So Amazon, if they want to, could just cancel it. Contracts be damned. That's like they did that with AR15.com. Amazon just decided to shut down the website. No notice to the owner. Thankfully, Brownells has their own internal infrastructure. Great company headquartered out of Iowa. Montezuma to be in particular. And they had to put it on their own servers that they themselves own. So if Amazon could just shut off like that, Elon has to be also conscious of that. I was disappointed he didn't decentralize it or actually put it on his own hardware. Now... Recently, he hired a new Twitter CEO, uh, Linda Yac uh, Macarena. Oh, no, no, Yacarino, who may do the Macarena. That's, if you ever interview her, that'd be a good question to ask. She, she, she looks like she might. But she, her whole background comes from advertising. In terms of political affiliations, it looks like she's done work for both Republicans as well as Democrats. Now, many people think she has more of a left-leaning. She also has participated in the, I think it's a W... What was that um, a big company? The what's that group of evil? Big group of people you don't get to elect, but they control the world. Or if I say it, will this video get pulled completely? You probably know what they are. They're where they are. They have the big conference every year where they talk about how they're going to control everything. I'll let you put it in the comments. We'll see if the video gets pulled. Now, her job was basically to make it um, basically try to make Twitter profitable. I think because. Since Elon took over, they lost about 50% of their ad revenue. And again, Twitter has not broken even yet. He slashed a bunch of the fat from the company, about 5,000 employees. 
I would say 5,000 useless activists because guess what? The interface for the end user right now is about the same before and after he took over in terms of reliability of the actual app and the website. Now, recently, she's looks like she's actually ramping up the censorship under the guise of winning back advertisers. Now, it looks like they're recently, this is from the Twitter Safety Council, which probably dystopian to think. Who decides what is what words mean, or rather, what is hate speech? Remnants of 1984. There shouldn't be a drinking game. It, it could be quickly deadly because that book, unfortunately, is becoming more and more reality than a science fiction book. George Orwell was very underrated, and if public schools are worth a damn, they actually have that book actually read by students. Not all public schools are bad, but I'm concerned with most of them. Now, from Twitter Safety, they say, labels have been applied to more than 700,000 violative posts that fall under our hateful conduct policy. We also proactively prevent ads that appear adjacent to content with the label. Compared to a healthy tweet, these new labels reduce the reach or impressions of violative content by 81%. More than one-third of authors proactively choose to delete their tweet after they were informed that the, re- the reach has been restricted. This sounds disgustingly familiar to prior when Elon Musk took over. They basically said, hey, we're not going to delete your profile or suspend you, but you're not going to be, no one's going to see your stuff unless you delete this specific tweet. Well, obviously that's an incentive. They're pushing you to delete it. They go on to say, on average, only 4% of authors have appealed labels. Hmm. Perhaps because most of them acquiesce and bend the knee immediately and don't believe in free speech or their own speech enough to stand up for it. They also say 90% of all appeals receive a response within 30 minutes. Perhaps it's an auto-deny. They also go on to say, more than 99% of content users and advertisers see on Twitter is healthy. That I actually kind of agree with. I haven't seen... Too much bad stuff from my anecdotal personal experience. And they also say that, and the reach of hate speech on Twitter continues to represent an over, extreme small fraction of overall conversation. This past March, Twitter measured the, partnered with Sprinkler to understand. That actually measures and reduces hate speech by using the AI-based model to further our commitment to a, create a brand-safe environment for our agencies and advertisers. Yes, again, 1984, reminiscent. Yes, very much so, or the Department of Truth, or Ministry of Truth. It's been a couple of years, and you reread that, and actually, now that I think about it, try to read it at least once a year. Now, it says, oh yeah, AI-based models, could they perhaps be uh, engineered to discriminate one way, politically speaking, or another? I'm, I'm sure big tech would never do that. They, they respect all opinions equally. <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face. I, yeah, my whole life, they've been pretty, pretty disgustingly disproportionately weighted one versus the other. Now, it's also one of those things where no one could define hate speech like the cloud means different things to different people. And let's see what Linda, what does Linda Macarena have to say? Now she says, with a recent tweet when asking for a topic or asking comments about this topic, she said, a Bloomberg article today claims that harmful content viewed on Twitter is on the rise, but that's not true. Here's what's true. More than 99% of content users are advertiser-friendly. And she also goes to say, over the past eight months, we've made progress on reducing the spread of hate speech, proactively preventing child exploitation, and giving brands more control of where their ads appear from from agency controls and third-party verification. We strive to be more independent, yada, yada, yada. But do we really believe her? Unfortunately, it seems like the censorship is just going to ramp up more and more and more, especially as we get close to an election. Perhaps I'm just a little bit more pessimistic than usual, but when it comes to tech, I think that's usually a good rule of thumb, most would say. Now, other interesting culture news, you have Bud Light. Are they maybe buying Twitter comments and likes? Now, I say this because... We're starting to see the force fall back a little bit from the overwhelming critique of their business blunders on the Twitter sphere, where they just get ratioed in minutes. Now they still are, but positive comments are making through to actually be seen. And I don't believe them personally, and I'll explain why. Now last Friday, they said something like, what was it? They said, Back, the backyard is calling, which 
I'm surprised they didn't get, they didn't get boycotted. That's very pejorative and discriminatory just to people who don't have backyards. Some people still live in apartments. How dare they assume that? Actually, no. Their average Bud Light loser may not uh, user. I said user, not loser. That was a Freudian slip, perhaps some might say. But do they really have? Now that's a really good question. No, I digress. Now it looks like that tweet within 12 hours got 140,000 views. And it only got 450 likes. So the ratio is still bad. That's 0.32% of people liked that tweet. Now, I interesting, I looked at the dozens of positive responses to that tweet from Twitter, or rather from Bud Light on Twitter, and there are people with zero followers. And I looked even more to it. There were more people who hadn't tweeted in years. I don't know how it's possible to have zero followers. Even I have a couple hundred. If you follow me at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G, you can follow me on Twitter. See my brilliant puns, perhaps? Well, moderate puns. They'll be brilliant someday. But they don't seem real. If you don't have zero followers and you haven't tweeted for years, who's doing this? Is it a computer? Is it someone who's hijacking an old legacy account? And then how do accounts, how those accounts still exist? Because Elon, months back, they said they're going to deactivate accounts that do not tweet at least, or tweet or perform an action on Twitter at least once a month. So if some of these haven't tweeted for years, how are they still around? That's another question in and of itself. Now, it looks like the top liked response was actually, of course, a parody of it. And it was two men holding the beer in a love pose. Now that got 6,137 views in the first 12 hours and 403 likes, which again, I know public schools, the math scores are all time low. So we'll do a little fun math today. That is 6.57% of people liking it. So 6.57% people liked that tweet. As opposed to the original tweet, that percentage of like was 0.32%. Now, the second most liked tweet was actually someone who took the Photoshop of the people holding the Bud Light, put them on a steamroller, and then of course it's gonna roll over a bunch of Bud Light cans. Now, that one got 6,174 views and 363 likes, which, a little bit of math, that's a 5.88% of people who liked the tweet and saw the tweet. So they're still getting ratioed, but a couple positive comments are making it through. I can't help but think why. Now, granted, when you click the hidden responses, which is where the juiciest ones, most interesting ones are, they're still overwhelmingly the one of the cliche. They have the douchebag sitting above the grave with the peace sign, and they put Alyssa Hydrostyle's face on it with the you know, Bud Light established, and then they died. That's still one of the most popular responses, which is moderately entertaining and accurate, but I suspect that Bud Light is hiding it so they could mitigate and avoid any lawsuits from her. Granted, it was her fault, but I digress. I want to know where these tweets coming from that are positive. Time shall tell. Maybe there'll be a full investigation. We'll find something out. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Anheuser-Busch CEO not worried about boycott, apparently. Now, this is Anheuser-Busch CEO, um, Anheuser-Busch InBev CEO, Michael Dukakis. Man, that's kind of dorky. But it seems like, man, he's not too worried about their uh, business blunder of giving a little sponsorship to Dil Mulvaney, famous trans activist on TikTok. I think it was like 10 plus million followers who are mostly children. And they gave Dylan a beer. And that was on April 1st. It wasn't a joke. But in terms of business blunders, it was certainly a joke because it fiscally destroyed $28 billion in stock value, just gone. And millions upon millions upon millions, millions of dollars of sales. I suspect they'll get to the billions before we know it. For the first time in 20 years, they're no longer the number one selling beer in the United States. Actually, for the second time, so last month, now this month, Two months in a row, Modelo has beat them, which the United States is owned by a separate company by the name of Constellation Brands. Internationally, Anheuser-Busch InBev owns Modelo, but for the United States, it's separate. Now, he claims that Bud Light sales are down about 30%. Now, granted, they do own 51 different brands of beer in their portfolio. So they have a pretty diverse portfolio. And when he asked for comment, he said, he said, quote, let me start by clarifying a few facts. This was a result of one can it was not made for promotion, for production or sale to the general public. It was one post and not a formal campaign or advertisement, unquote. Which is hilarious because that's, that's what the specific Anheuser-Busch CEO, Brendan Whitworth, said. So it looks like this is the CEO of the global organization where Anheuser-Busch is more United States specific. InBev is the Belgium-based parent company, now partnership. But it may have just been 
you have so many lies it's hard to keep it's hard to keep up with them and they keep rewriting history similar to 1984 yesterday's truth yesterday's lies are today's truth some might say now they keep saying this thing where oh yeah it's, it's, it was only one can it wasn't a campaign but then dylan came out and said it was a campaign so who's lying who's telling the truth hard to say but he seems just not worried at all and but the fans and everyone who used to love but like they don't believe him hard to say why they wouldn't oh no it, it, it's pretty hard, easy to say because he's being a politician he's not really saying anything now he further said quote Bud Light is very important to our U.S. businesses and I would never minimize that situation however seeing the context of a global company provides perspective unquote the Bud Light volume declined in the U.S. for the first three weeks of April publicly reported would represent about one percent of our global volumes for that period that was also when the boycott was first getting started. It's only gotten worse, which is fascinating from a business perspective. Usually boycotts let up. This one has actually gotten worse, which is saying something because culturally speaking, especially more conservatives, they don't boycott successfully. I'm sorry, it's just not happened. This is perhaps one of the things that makes the situation so unique is that there is a lot more steam behind this boycott, so to say. Now, internationally, this might, I've actually had some comments in the section. Again, take the time to like, so like, subscribe, and comment. It helps the videos out. Interestingly enough, we had someone from the UK as well as Australia in the comment section a couple weeks ago where they're saying, boycott's actually happening in their countries as well. So I don't know how isolated this is just the United States. And while they do have 51 or 52 different brands that they own, people are starting to realize they're all owned by Andrew Bush and Beth. Bud Light is the one that everyone knows specifically for the boycott because that was the one with the face, the promotional can that was made for Dylan. But Budweiser sales are down. Michael Walter sales are also down. People are starting to figure out they own a lot. It'll be interesting to see, maybe the CEO might be right. This might blow over eventually, but you have a lot of people who have left Bud Light and they're not coming back. Yangling is a great, they're doing fantastic. Every time I go to the, the big box mart, I can't but help but notice the only gaps in the aisle when it comes to the beer section is Coors, you, people are buying that. Gangling, people are buying that. When it comes to Bud Light, Corona, which Bud Light, I believe, has another Anheuser Bush and Bev. You also have Budweiser. All, all those, you have Michael Ultra, stacked the shelf. They're not moving as fast. And it's gotten to the point where they're actually going bad. They have to pay to take that swill away. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes from here. Other interesting cultural news and somewhat pertinent to the Bud Light fiasco or business blunder of the century, you have Ultra Right Beer coming out with a new commercial, which was a someone who saw a business opportunity to make a beer company just for people on the right. So this person knows they're not going to capture the whole market segment, but it'll be interesting to see, can he use that niche enough or that segment to make it a profitable company. I believe right now he's still late, uh, white labeling it. And it's an instance in business where you have a third party manufacturer it and then you put your own label on it and then you sell it. Which is very common for many different things, especially coffee these days. Every podcast sells a coffee. I know I'll probably get into that too someday. But it's only about two minutes long, but it is somewhat moderately brilliant. And it also has a classic Pontiac Trans Am, so who can't like that? Yep, that's me, conservative dad. You're probably wondering how I got here. It's been a wild ride, but I'm just getting started. That was him. That was, so he had, brilliant. It's referencing an old commercial he had where it's him using a baseball bat to actually hit and destroy a Bud Light can, which really kicked off his business. And that went viral immediately. And this is subsequently starting to go viral as well. This is an unlikely story of a fed up American who had enough of the woke beer companies and decided to do something about it. I'm on a mission and I won't stop until all Americans have a 100% woke free American beer company they can be proud of again. That's, that's also another debate about Bud Light, Budweiser. Are they really an American company? Depending on your perspective, they're no longer owned in the United States, I believe it's Missouri. They're actually owned by Belgium company InBev. So are they still American-made? Are they still an American company? That's a debate in and of itself. We'll face obstacles along the way, 
but nothing will stop us. Not even a woke beer smoky. There's a sharp view for T justice. I'm in high speed pursuit of a conservative dash with a load of ultra right beer. And this is called Smokey and the Conservative Dad, which is a hilarious pun of Smokey and the Bandit, where they actually, the whole point of the show is to transport beer. This is a beautiful vintage Pontiac, or, uh, yeah, oh man, good old Trans Am. Another business blunder, General Motors killed Pontiac. Partially, I almost think, I wonder if he made this commercial just so he can get a tax rate off on a Trans Am, which is kind of cool. At least rent it. Hey, conservative dad here. Jump in. We're going to go for a little drive. I got a woke beer smoky on my tail. And he's dressed up just like Burt Reynolds. Let me have a sandwich and a bag of chips and make it fast. I'm in a hurry. Why are you in uh, such a hurry there, Sheriff? <laughs> I'm in high-speed pursuit of a conservative dad. Well, this uh, conservative dad, you a bank robber? Bank robber? Bank robbing's nothing compared to what this dude's been doing. He almost destroyed one of America's biggest woke beer companies selling ultra-right beer. They're doing great sales-wise, but Bud Light is not worried about the dent that they're making in their business yet. He made a complete mockery of the woke corporations. Well, I'll... Well, they, they also kind of did that to themselves as well. He's doing... Don't get me wrong, he's doing something too. We catch up to him and get your man's here. Much obliged. Woke corporations have spent years quietly finding woke garbage that's now spilling over into our schools. But we're not going to beg them to stop anymore. Instead, Conservative Dad's ultra-right beer is going to fund our own program. Brilliant use of emotional rhetoric. He also is... I'm guessing it's his son. Uh, they're both dressed They're both dressed up to look like Burt Reynolds with a cowboy hat, the red shirt, and the jeans. That's why we're donating a portion of sales to the 1776 Project to overthrow the blue-haired woke school board members and replace them with normal people. Now, it is kind of hilarious. You can guess someone's political affiliation based on their hair color. Like, you know, back in my day, you know, when I was a kid, I remember like one, it was really special in sixth grade. There's one day a year. We called it Wacky Hair Day. That was the only day you were allowed to color your hair something of a different color. Mine happened to be green, which is the same color as my car and my watch. Uh, now that I think about it and reminisce a little bit, but it's, it's like a special thing nowadays. Jeez. Like us. The woke beer corporations, earmuffs, <laughs> with the wrong people. Never underestimate conservative dads on a mission. They said it couldn't be done, but thanks to you, there's a new beer in town. You can actually sit on his car in this. Nowadays, you do that, the car buckles into nothing because it's made out of thin, thin metal. Conservative Dad's ultra-right beer is now shipping all across America. If you haven't already, grab yourself a six-pack. I don't know how much... That's an expensive domain. He actually owns the domain ultrarightbeer.com. Which... I wonder how much a six-pack is going for right now. Because someone told me it was like $20, which... You're donating to a cause as well as a product. But I'm curious, what is that price about now? Order now. I was right, $19.99 for a six pack of beer. Now, the real question is, what's shipping? Ah, uh, looks like they charge for shipping. Yeah, it's a deal breaker for a lot of people. That's something you can blame Amazon for, the psychological phenomenon of no one wants to pay for shipping, even though obviously it costs something. Now, in terms of cultural significance, it is interesting that he's growing this brand more and more and more, and people are willing to pay $20 plus for a six pack of beer. And for the first time in, I believe, many, 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 many years, conservatives, in terms of the number of people who identify as conservatives, are increasing. That's an interesting cultural um, little phenomenon. It'll be interesting to see how businesses adjust if they actually start to cater towards them. Relative to what my I can think of, businesses never really try to cater to them on a mass scale in terms of a large company that I could possibly think of. But we shall see. It'll be interesting to see. Time shall tell for this business. Well, how, how big can they grow? Other interesting cultural news, you have men banned from competing in women's cycling. Which, if you were to rewind the clock 10 years ago, you would have been, well, yeah, obviously. Why were they in there to begin with? But... It's 2023 and two plus two equals five. 
If you don't, it, we'll shock you. Literally, we're going to sh shock you until you change your mind. Does that sound familiar? It should, because you should read 1984, the, one of the best books ever written by George, George Orwell, ever written, period. I don't get a commission for saying that. Just a big fan of what used to be science fiction now is uh, unfortunately becoming a reality, or actually reality's worse. But I digress. In terms of a specific topic, you have this instance where you have trans-identifying male cyclist. Wait a minute. Okay, let me uh, re reword that. So you have biological males who identify as women and competing in women's sports. That's the summary of what's going on in, I was about to say, the industry, the sport. Now, those men are now banned from competing in women's cycling championships under a new policy announced by the Union Cyclist Internationale. Oh, Celisti? I know it's a foreign um, sporting organization, but C- minus for, uh, for uh, marketing. I just, I don't know about that. And that's a governing body, body for apparently all cycling divisions. Now, under the new rules, trans male athletes who transitioned after puberty will no longer be allowed to participate in any competitions and official events in the UCI calendar. Now, the prior policy for this sporting organization was that males could compete if their testosterone levels were below a certain threshold, that threshold being 2.5 nano, nanomoles per liter for at least 24 hours prior to competing. Which, I don't know who, I don't know who thought of that arbitrary number, because obviously it's ridiculous, makes no sense. Well, many things don't. But the big issue that anyone with a modicum of common sense would argue is that your whole life, that person had the advantage of testosterone, and just on average, again, men are faster, stronger, reaction times, muscle fibers, bone structure, bone density. They have a huge physical advantage. That's why we have men's and women's sports. You have, I mean, I remember a, lot, a couple years back, someone was saying Serena Williams was the best tennis player. And one of the commentators on the show says, well, yeah, she's the best woman. And they, they push back, why is she just the best woman? Why don't you say the best player? He goes, well, no, she's, if you're a player, you know, internet, rank her wrong, you know, men's division, she's mediocre at best. She'd rank, I believe, like in the 400th or something in the men's division. It, it's a different thing. That's why you have the separate sports. And somehow it's controversial to say you shouldn't be having men competing in the women's sports because they have that huge physical advantage. Now, they say they're going to have this new policy to stop that, but I'm pretty pessimistic just because you have more and more sports and organizations along this. And there's a lot of concern because there's a lot of real-world consequences. You have, I mean, everyone from high school kids to college kids, those girls are having their scholarships taken away or they're losing scholarships and opportunities because you have people like Leah Thomas, who, again, was like the 400th best male swimmer. And then Leah decided, oh, yeah, I want to compete in the women's division and become number one, literally. That's not a coincidence. You don't, I, I don't see it ever going the opposite way. We have someone who's born as a woman go to the men's division. No, it, it, it's not happening. So there's a big physical advantage. And I don't see, understand how that's a controversial thing to say these days. It's one of those things that's become a political thing. And I don't think it should be. But no one's saying they can't compete. People are saying you need to compete where it makes sense. And there is a debate somewhere having to say, why don't we have a special division for people who have transitioned? That's an argument that could be made, whether it's profitable or not. It might, given the numbers, it certainly would not be profitable enough to sustain itself. It might have to have subsidiaries from one of the more other profitable organizations to, to feasibly work. But that's a debate worth having, many are saying, where you could talk about making it fair for all the players. And it'll be interesting to see for the cycling, will they actually stick to their guns with this new policy or will they simply acquiesce and pull it back and say, oh, no, no, we were kidding. It was a miscommunications. Please don't, please don't boycott us, the 17 fans who watch the cycling. Or no, sorry, 13 fans who follow women's cycling because it's women's cycling. But we shall see. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Ron DeSantis urging the state of Florida to investigate Bud Light. Now, it looks like Ron DeSantis is urging specifically the state's pension fund manager to consider legal action against Bud Light's parent company amid the controversial backlash from the recent marketing campaign. Now, that might be a fair argument considering if you're the state treasury or if you're the state project, uh, state pension fund manager, your job is to get the maximum profit. 
you're supposed to get the best returns for the pension holders. And if you're investing in a company that's shooting itself in the foot and losing money hand over fist, both for their stock valuation as well as their sales, one could argue, or actually I was gonna say, you shouldn't even have to argue, that's just obviously you're not fulfilling your fiduciary responsibility to get the maximum um, payout for your policyholders. Now, it looks like CNN Business had a letter obtained from the DeSantis crew where they, Ron DeSantis suggests Anheuser-Busch and Bev, quote, breached legal duties owed to its shareholders when it decided to associate with a, quote, radical social ideologies. Now, both sales reps, or sales, well, the reps are gone too because they have to quit because there's no money to be made, but sales of Bud Light have plummeted in the, in the months since they had that partnership with transactivist Bill Mulvaney, and the boycott began subsequently ever since. And it'll be interesting to see as Ron Santos is attempting to become president, maybe he's pulling back and he's starting to focus more on Florida. Because again, the big 500 pound gorilla in the room is Trump. He has a big lead right now as with all the polls are going, people are wondering who's going to get the nominee for the Republican party. And right now, pretty much every poll is saying Trump is ahead by a pretty big majority. And DeSantis's whole campaign is kind of falling apart as he takes, it seems like he's just taking more and more terrible advice, unfortunately, and it's not panning out. And, you know, there's a lot of ethical issues where his team, again, it wasn't him specifically, perhaps, but it was one of the DeSantis campaign teams where they used fake AI images of Trump. Uh, I think it's hugging Fauci. And the description of the picture said the real Trump. There was not a disclaimer that said this was AI. So a lot of people, that broke a lot of people's trust in Ron DeSantis' campaign. If he was a smart, prudent politician, I would say the minute he saw that come out, he should have come out publicly and say, hey, I don't approve that ad. This is unethical because of this. They never did that. And in my opinion, that lost a lot of political face and a lot of confidence in his whole campaign. So it'll be interesting to see, is this his attempt to become, stay more positive in Florida? In terms of a political chess move, it's a prudent one because many people on the right, politically speaking, do support the Bud Light boycott. In that regard, this is a brilliant political move on the chessboard. And it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if this is him trying to increase his numbers in Florida or... Because you got to remember, Trump is also from Florida as well. He has got his famous place in Mar-a-Lago. It'll be interesting to see, but you know, time shall tell for who wins the presidential nominee and what action this really was from Ron DeSantis. It's, a, it's with a heavy heart, but this is the business blunder of the day. You have Nissan Skyline might come back as an EV SUV. I think I died a little inside. It's a, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's terrible. This is, what's nice, uh, catastrophe, it's ridiculous. So rest in peace, Nissan greatness. The, the pinnacle of their engineers, the pinnacle of their capabilities, now bastardized into an EV vehicle that's as uninspiring as a smartphone from 2008. No one will remember this vehicle, it'll just come and go. Whereas Skyline used to mean something special. Now the Nissan Skyline is actually one of the oldest nameplates in the automotive uh, world, dating back to 1957 before it is even a part of Nissan. And apparently the Japanese outlet called uh, Best Car, they indicated that development of the Skyline sedan has been frozen and instead they're in development of the next generation Skyline on the basis of an electric Ariyavan, R-I-Y, R-I-Y, R-I, ridiculous, F minus for marketing, A-R-I-Y-A, which is a crossover EV SUV with plans to be to come out in 2025. It'll reportedly make 450 horsepower SUV, EV, multi-motor all-wheel drive. God, that's pathetic. One of the best vehicles ever made was R36 Nissan, the Skyline GTR, the whole Fast and Furious movies that Paul Walker, his main vehicle, that was pinnacle Japanese automotive engineering. That was a huge part of the car culture. And they're just using that name. You see Chevy doing this too. They're gonna have the Camaro be an EV four-door sedan. Again, a business blunder in and of itself. But in this case, they're, I can't help but think these companies are desperate and they just, they have very little skills for marketing. Ford did this with the Mustang E-Mach, which is nothing like a Mustang. It's an EV kind of crossover SUV vehicle thing, but they called it the Mustang E-Mach. 
ridiculous. I think, the, I think these companies are trying to take their best brand and try to convert it into EVs. Try to take the love that people had for this brand, even though this other, this new thing is going to just, uh, it's going to be a fraction of that. It's going to be the antithesis of the original. It's just going to be nothing. And yet, they're hoping that name will be inspiring enough for you to purchase it. Mitsubishi is making an SUV. They're calling it the Eclipse. The cool green car from the original Fast and Furious movies, that was, a, that was a Mitsubishi Eclipse. It's a great tuner car with three pedals. It's a stick shift, as all great vehicles deserve to have. If you have not experienced that great fun thing, I implore you to go out and have as much fun doing it as you can. If you have the fiscal capabilities, get a three pedals as soon as you can while you still can. Because those things are such a pleasure to drive. And unfortunately, the number of stick shifts made dwindle year over year over year, partially because of tailpipe regulations, government regulations, forcing EVs upon us. Which, interestingly enough, if someone else were to become president, could they flip the equation? Could they just force every automotive company to make a V8 or V10 with a stick shift? That'd be interesting. I don't see why not in terms of governments forcing you to do EV. Why couldn't they do it the other way? But I digress. In terms of Nissan taking one of the most prestigious brands and diluting it to something that it never it never was, never meant to be. That's got to be the business blunder of the day. Perhaps for quite some time. Now, thank you again for taking the time to tune in. I really appreciate it if you take the time to subscribe. We're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of July, and we're getting closer and closer and closer. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, Tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone, just stay safe and fight the good fight.